You all love Jesus out there? Well, good morning to you. I hope that you're doing well, and I hope you're even doing better by the time we finish today. You're probably wondering why I'm up here today. Could be you, you know. If you were here last Sunday, you know Pastor Peter had confessed that he had trouble talking about money, and does anybody want to be up here, want to be speaking instead of me? Well, like an idiot, I raised my hand, and I was the only one that did, so here I am. You probably remember that. So thanks, Pastor Peter, for thinking of me. Actually, I'm not shy about talking about money because it's such a big part of our lives. Paul wasn't afraid to talk about money. The apostles weren't afraid to talk about money. God isn't afraid to talk about money. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money. In fact, he talked about money a lot more than just about any other subject if you talk about money and its use and how we apply it into and, and our lives. I found that money is necessary. How many agree with that? And uh, you can't live without provision, but at the same time, it's one of the ways in which God shows himself strong to us in very specific ways. I, I see God's intervention in my life probably more in that area than just about any other area of my life. And I'm sure many of you could confirm that statement, that when you got put God first in some of these areas, he really does come through and he does help you out of a lot of tight spots. I know my wife and I haven't always been wealthy like we are today. <clears throat> Uh, excuse me, I'm not supposed to lie in the pulpit. Uh, but uh, but we've been through some very, very lean times in our in our life, and yet God has always seemed, seemingly come through for us, and sometimes in very supernatural and unbelievable ways. I wish I had time to tell you all those stories, but Peter's got me on a short leash this morning, so we're just going to have to go with that. We're handing out notes so that you can actually follow along easier and also I'll be able to take some of the material home and actually study it maybe a little bit more and read some of the scriptures a little bit uh, more deeply than we'll have time to do so today. But today we're going to be talking specifically about tithing, and I'd like to answer the top 10 quest tithing questions that I hear over and over again, <clears throat> and hopefully I never have to listen to them again. No, just kidding, just kidding. you got to get used to my sense of humor. My wife has taken her 54 years, and she still hasn't got used to it. But anyway, she groans a lot. So we're going to look at these questions. Number one is, what is a tithe? That sounds like kind of a ridiculous question. If you really understand the meaning of the word tithe, you wouldn't really have a question. The word tithe is a, is a euphemism for 10%. It sounds so spiritual, tithe, but what it actually means is 10%. So when people talk about, well, I, 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 I tithe 7%. I tithe 8%. No, you aren't tithing. Tithing is 10%. You can't say, well, 2 equals 3 or 3 equals 2. No, a tithe is a tenth of our income. The word tithe literally means tenth. And in Leviticus chapter 27, if you're following me in your notes, does everybody have notes? Does anybody need notes? Nobody got bypassed? Okay. <clears throat> in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 to 33, a tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. I think the word holy, as you know, means set apart. This is distinguished from all of the other monies that we have. If you want to redeem the Lord's tent, that if you want to actually use it for some other purpose, the uh, Lord's tent of the fruit of the grain, uh, you must pay its value plus 20%. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Lord also owns every tenth animal counted off from your herds and flocks. They are set apart to him as holy. The tenth animal must not be selected on the basis of whether it is good or bad, and no substitutions will be allowed. If any exchange is in fact made, then both the original animal and the substituted one will be considered holy and cannot be redeemed. So let's see if we can understand this a little bit. What he was saying is everything that we... Uh, uh, grow everything that is uh, of our increase. We are to give 10% to the Lord. If it's animals, and because they didn't have a lot of currency, they had animals, they had grain, they had produce of various kinds, and they were to give 10% of that. That's why the temple later on would have storehouses. They had to store this grain somewhere that was coming in and, and even take care of some of the animals that were coming in. 
uh, for their people's tithe. And they said, I want you to just run your sheep through whatever it is you run them through. And every tenth one, as they go through, every tenth one belongs to the Lord. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, your best sheep in the herd, flock, sorry, or if it's weak and sickly, it's the tenth, no matter how it looks. And if you don't like the looks of it, that is, I don't want to give that weak lamb to the Lord, then find another one that you want to give and give them both to the Lord. You aren't going to shortchange your tithe. <laughs> and so, uh, but if, if, so these cannot, these are, set apart, these belong to the Lord. Now, I know we're going to be using a lot of Old Testament scriptures today, and many of you are thinking, well, uh, that's all Old Testament. That doesn't really apply to me. I'd like to th you to think about it in slightly different ways. One is God has only ever established one financial system for any nation ever in the history of humanity. And he established this as his system, which I would have to believe even though we're under the new covenant, I'll talk about that in a minute, that it has to reflect at least some of his wisdom in this area of finance. Would you be with me on that one? So God did establish it, and he was trying to teach them something through the tithe. The tithe was meant to be a teacher for them, and it was going to teach them a lot of things. Uh, one thing he really wanted them to learn was that what they had was only theirs by virtue of the fact that he had made it possible for them to have it. <laughs> and that it wasn't by their own power, it wasn't by their own good looks, it wasn't by their own uh, ingenuity that their income came to them. It's because of how he made them, how he gifted them, how he, how he provided for them. And even the earth that we live on was all given to us so that we could make it work for us. Because so often when we're in times of real blessing, it's easy to forget, well, you know what? I'm pretty smart after all. Well, after all, I can do this. And God said, no, not about that. I gave you the power so that you can get whatever it is that you have. So the question number two, which we've kind of already answered from the scripture there is, can I borrow my tithe and pay it back later? Well, I'm in a tight spot this month. I can't really afford to tithe. So can I borrow that and maybe make it up later? Well, you can, I put down here, perhaps, perhaps you can do that if you're really, really stupid. Oh, sorry. I wouldn't want to call anybody stupid. That would be unchristian. Un but would you say that borrowing money at 20% interest was a good idea for your house? You'd never pay it off. God says, yeah, you can, you can redeem it. You can use it you have to pay it back, and when you do, you add 20% to it. Man, that's usury, God. I thought you were against usury. That's for others, not for me. No. He's trying to discourage us from doing that because what happens is then we get into bad habits. We get into a habit pattern that's not going to be honoring to God. He's not getting the first fruits anymore. He's getting leftovers. He's getting uh, stuff that we can manage to finagle. Talk about that in a minute. Leviticus 27, 31. If you want to redeem the tenth or the fruit of the grain, you must pay its value plus 20%. Now, number three there, do I tithe on my gross income or my net income? A lot of people, they, they see their check when they get it and they think that's my increase. Well, that's not what they pay you. That's not what they say they pay you. What you're being paid for, what your salary is when you go in for the job interview, what is my pay, what is my salary for this job? They give you a number. You never see that number <laughs> because it comes to you after they've taken out taxes, after they've taken out Social Security, after they've taken out this or that or the other thing. And so you get a what we call a net income. That might be good for the IRS, but I'm telling you, the IRS does not come before God. And you actually earn that higher number, but yes, people have taken their stuff out of it, and you don't always see it. But when God talks about the first fruits of all of our income, he's not saying after the government has got their hands on it. It's really the gross, and that's the blank there for that answer. The tithe is the beginning, the first, or the choice portion, and it's not meant to be the leftovers or the last portion. So when we see our income... 
for service rendered or for lands or whatever it might be, houses, inheritance, we're to give the Lord the first 10% of that particular increase. Now, my policy is this. I have disciplined myself so that I cannot, I'm not allowed to spend anything from a particular increase or paycheck that I've got until I've given God the first. Why? It's going to be the first check I write from that. Why? And maybe you don't write checks. Okay, first money I take out of that, whatever, however I do it. Because I always have my tithe. It's the first. I don't forget to pay my tithe because it's the first. It's the chief part. It's the best part. And God is going to be first. Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. Sometimes we misread that. What it's saying is, if you put God first, you're never going to have shortage. You say, well, I don't know how that works. Well, it is a miracle. And it does require faith. And God says, you got to do it before you see it. I want to see it before I do it. No, you got to do it. You got to discipline yourself to do it. And believe me, when it's all said and done, when you get to the end of your life, you say, God, I tithed my entire life and you let me down. He says, prove me in this. Proving him in it is not, well, I tried it last week and I still have debt. No, it isn't like I tried it for a day, I tried it for a week, I tried it for a month, I tried it for a year. How about trying it for your whole life? And then turning, looking back and say, you know what? God let me down there, he let me down there, he let me down there, let me. No, you put God first in anything you do, believe me, he will come through for you. It doesn't mean you won't go through some hardship. It doesn't mean you won't go through some dry times. It won't go, means that you don't go through some testing periods, but that's not faith if there's no test. It's actually just, I'm doing it because I want to get, which is not the best kind of giving. The government does not get its tenth first. I'm, I'm going to skip this next story, but basically what, what Samuel was saying, when people were asking for a king, and the children of Israel were basically saying to them, oh, all right, you want a king? This is what it's going to cost you. He's going to take 10% of this. He's going to take 10% of that. He's going to take 10% of your men's service, 10% of your cattle, 10% of everything you have. And uh, unfortunately, that's evolved over time to 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, depending upon how much money you have, and they won't be satisfied until they get it all. <laughs> how many feel that way sometimes? But if you want a king, like all the other nations have, hey, it's expensive to have these things. I just want you to know when you start groaning about the taxes that this is what you wanted. You voted for this, really, one way or another. Okay, I, don't, I never vote for new taxes. I never do. <laughs> The New Testament principle but given by Jesus is with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, God, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. We don't use that word too often. Uh, we won't even use it anymore today. But for the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Some people, when it comes to giving to the Lord, are very, very stingy. Now, I'm glad that God chose that we would give 10%. And actually, I'm not talking about some of the other giving. We'll talk about that later. But 10%, because if he said, I want you to give 11.3%, we couldn't figure it out. But at least with 10%, all we got to do is move the decimal point one notch, and we can sort of get it, okay? So what we'll do sometimes is, okay, I got to check for... $97. I'm going to give God $9.70. Well, what if it happened to be you got $97.03? How do you divide the extra cent? Does God get the extra half or do you get the extra half? Woo! I call that stingy. Why not round it up? You know, you go to the grocery store these days, they always got some kind of a cause that they're, they're fighting for. Who knows where that money actually goes? But at any rate, they say, would you like to round up to the 
Uh, yeah, well, it, if it was 93 cents, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it was not my, I mean, my, my bill was 93 and I needed to be, I'll round it up to a dollar. Yeah, okay. But it was three cents. I'm not going to round it up 97 cents. Come on now. I'm a little bit more stingy than that. No, but the whole point is, why not round it up? Why not round it up? Why not have a generous spirit when it comes to giving to God? Because God says, with the same measure you meet out, it will be measured back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's going to put somewhere in your being. Said I wasn't going to use that word anymore. Okay, so what do you do when you want to get more into a jar of, say, oatmeal or grain of some sort. You shake it, tamp it down, press it down, till you get, and then you fill it up some more until you can't get any more possibly in that jar. And God says, if you give to me, that's the way I'm going to give to you. Now, we can say, look, my wife, I, I'll use my wife as an illustration here. She's here today, gorgeous woman, smart, intelligent, Always serving, loving, kind to everybody but me. No, I'm just saying. Uh, but when she cooks, she makes delicious things. If any of you have ever eaten any of her, especially baked goods, and I've eaten a few of those, uh, you will know that they always turn out just the way they're supposed to turn out, and they are delicious. She learned everything she could from Diana Olson, but, but beyond that, she's done well. But you, it would annoy you. It annoys my daughters when they have to bake with her because she'll take her little, it says, it says teaspoon, or it says tablespoon. <clears throat> she'll take the tablespoon measure, she'll tamp it down, and then she'll run a knife across the top, and then she'll look at it. Make sure there isn't one grain of flour or whatever it might be that's sticking up its ugly head. She will knife that sucker and get it out of there because if a tablespoon is a tablespoon. She'll do that with all of her measures. I said, honey, it doesn't make that much difference whether it's, you know, a little bit extra, a little bit extra that, well, my stuff turns out right. Well, sometimes we're that way with God. We're like, okay, what's, what's the measure? I'll get my little tablespoon out. I'll tamp it down. I'll, I'll put the knife across. I don't want to give God any more than what I have to. And God said, okay, I'll tell you what. You give me that little teaspoon. You give me that tablespoon. Now I want to bless you. And I'm going to use the same measure that you use. I am not going to give you any more than I absolutely have to. If you want more than that, I'm sorry. That's what it says. No, I don't want God to treat me that way. God says to the merciful, I'll show myself merciful. If we don't forgive, he won't forgive. I mean, there's ways in which God speaks over and over again that he will treat us pretty much the same way we treat others and maybe we treat him. So I'd like him to be generous with me. How about you? So is tithing found in the New Testament? Well, yes and no. That's the answer to that question. How do you like that? That makes it eminently clear. Well, yes, it is found. It's not commanded like it is in the Old Testament. But Jesus affirmed it over and over when he was talking about, for instance, the scribes and Pharisees. He talked about their tithing, that they tithed on everything right down to the spices in their spice cabinet. And he said, these things you should have done but not left the other undone, which was mercy and some of those things, which they tended to do everything in a very legalistic way. But again, I think it's important for us to remember that this is part of God's financial system that he established in the Old Testament, and it seems to be affirmed. Actually, some people would say, well, I, I like to be more of a New Testament giver. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, because just like every other law in the Old Testament, when it comes into the age of grace, it doesn't nullify the law. It brings it up to a level of honor, and it actually intensifies it. So if I do something by the Old Testament, I just have to keep from killing that man right there on any given day. Thou shalt not kill. Boy, I want to. Boy, but I'm not going to kill him. 
But the New Testament says, I got to love my enemies and do good to those who mistreat me. He's mistreated me for years. I've got to do good to him. That's harder. All I got to do in the Old Testament was try to keep from sleeping with another man's wife. But in the New Testament, no, I can't even think those thoughts. Can't lust after it in my mind. Which is easier? Which is harder? The New Testament it actually brings things up to a higher level that the only way we could ever do them is with the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the, uh, you see, when we were born again, which they weren't in the Old Testament, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living within us and it should produce the fruit of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, uh, they, they could give grudgingly. Oh man, that 10th one that came through, that was my prize breeding stock. Ah, I got to give that in the burnt offering? Yeah, and he, he, he demanded other offerings where he said, I want you to inspect it and make sure there's no flaw in it. Well, that's my best stock. Burn that up in front of me. Whoa. That doesn't sound good. But he wants the choice part. So when, when it comes to the New Testament, some people say, I, I, I'm going to be a New Testament giver. Do you? I kind of prefer the Old Testament, if you don't mind. New Testament giving can be seen somewhat like this in Acts chapter 4, verse 3 to 32 to 37. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say of anything, things that they possessed that it was his own. Now, that's not mine. It's the Lord, so if he wants to put his hand on it, that's great. It's not mine. Nothing that he possessed. I thought... 10% belong to God. 10% of what I have is not mine. God says, no, nothing that you have is yours. <laughs> That's New Testament giving. But they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that were sold to, to the church laid them at the apostles' feet. By the way, today I am an apostle. And they distributed to each, anyone, uh, as they had need. And Joses, this is a guy who later was named Barnabas because he uh, was such a son of consolation. That's what his name means. By the apostles. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having, sold, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I guess that's New Testament giving. No, I'm going back to the time, if you don't mind. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy, they received great money from the church because they were going through a tough time. No, abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded in the rich, they abounded in the riches of their, of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. I don't know those of you that have been in, in pre preaching or any kind of position of where you have to receive. I, I enjoy giving and helping more than I don't like being helped. Even when I'm sick, just leave me alone. But I remember one time I was speaking at a church and this lady came up to me and I could tell she was not a wealthy person. And she said, the Lord asked me to give this to you. I said, I'm sorry, I can't take, I can't take your money. I saw her face just drop like, and I said to her, I finally took it. And I figured out a backdoor way to get it back to her somehow through the blessing of God that rained upon her. For her. But she wanted to give that. And it was like, kind of like the widow's might when Jesus was watching the offerings coming in. You know, he saw these guys. and It's kind of interesting anyway to see Jesus standing in front of the offering bucket watching people give. Come on, Jesus. This is personal. 
You don't want to do that. But he wanted to do that. And it says he watched what they gave, and he watched how they gave. Now, that's New Testament giving right there. What they gave, but it was more important about how they gave. They saw Pharisees who were wealthy, had become wealthy through their political power, giving substantial gifts. Nice. And then he saw this woman with two mites. These were not talking about insects here. We're talking about small coins. And she gave it, and Jesus stopped the processional. Said, wait a minute. I saw something there. This woman gave a couple of coins. Gave more than all the other offering participants this morning. They gave out of their surplus. She gave out of her want or her need. You think that woman eventually got blessed? I think so. Jesus has a way of blessing widows. Number five, can I give my tithe anywhere I want? Now, the answer to that is no. When it comes to the tithe, God is the one who determines the place where it's to go. It is, it is to go to the place where he has recorded his name. It is to go into the storehouse that there might be bread in his house. Your tithe should go to your local church where you are committed, submitted, and being fed. That's where it should go. And if you read the scriptures there in Deuteronomy, it talks, don't just take, take, it, take your tithe to any place that you, you want. You take it where God chooses. I'm not going to take the time to read that verse, but it's all there. And he told them, you shall not do as do all as are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place that the Lord chooses. When I was in Africa, this was a bigger deal because people would, a lot of people that were in the church there in South Africa where I was at in Johannesburg, they had come from other countries. South, South Africa is kind of like the United States in many ways. Other countries come there because it's a little bit more of a prosperous country in many ways. It also has its abject poverty as well, but, but uh, it's kind of a side-by-side -side situation. So we had people in our church that were from Zimbabwe or Uganda or some other mostly Southern African nations. But when it came to their giving they would send it back to the congregation that they came from back in Zimbabwe. They were hurting and, you know, they needed money. And so they didn't give any money to the church where they were attending and they had moved, they had moved to South Africa. They were, had been living there for years. But they sent their tithe back to the, to the home church. Or they had relatives in poverty and they would send their money to a relative and say, I'm tithing to them or some poor person. So in the scripture, we'll read, uh, there's Malachi there. I want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And, and then Nehemiah talks about it too, how the storehouse is there established by God. And of course it was in, in, in this era, it was in the temple where they were to bring it. And uh, in, in the New Testament, of course, the New Testament church is the place where we where we are fed and are submitted. This means we can't give the tithe to the poor, although God does want us to help the poor. In his tithing system, he said, every third year I want you to give an extra tithe and I want that money to go to the poor. And actually, when you look at the Old Testament system, they had two or three tithes. One was called the Lord's tithe and you couldn't do anything with that. One was called, uh, there was a second tithe that they took, and uh, that was actually a, more like a savings account in some ways because God demanded them that three times a year they would go to Jerusalem and celebrate these feasts, which were very costly for them to do. And so they would take another 10% and set that aside, and they could use that when they went to those feasts and, uh, you know, splurge on themselves. And then the third tithe was taken every third year for the poor and the needy. So actually, in most of their tithing, it was 23 and a third percent annually for their giving to the Lord in, their, in that system. But he, he had a, God had a, has a heart for the poor, and he wants us to remember the poor. 
and he wants to give to the needy, but that's not the Lord's tithe. It's not a special project, such as a purchase of land or building construction or parking lots or school uh, auditoriums or, or whatever it might be, or buildings. Uh, those were always done in the Old Testament with special offerings. So when they want to build the tabernacle, they took a special offering. When they want to build the temple, they took a special offering that was not their tithe money. Or a needy family member, although God wants us to take care of needy families in our midst. A televangelist, no. Uh, he's not the one watching over your soul. Other charitable organizations. There's a scripture in Luke uh, 9, 57 to 60, that sometimes people don't quite get, I don't think. Because it seems like Jesus is being very, very cruel. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus likes those kind of professions. And Jesus said to him something very sweet. Foxes have holes. You heard that from the National Geographic Channel. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he said to, the, to another, follow me. And Jesus said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. That sounds reasonable. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, was he being insensitive? No. He was saying, uh, people like to use just about any excuse. The truth of the matter was the father wasn't dead. Now, if he's dead, Jesus would let him go to the funeral for sure. But if as a male member of the household, he left home prior to his father dying, he would lose out on an inheritance. And so let me go home and I'll, I'll come back after daddy dies, after I get my inheritance secured and then I'll come. And he said, well, let the dead bury the dead. Don't worry, your brothers will take really good care of the old man so they can get their hands on their inheritance. But who's going to preach the gospel? And so it was more like a challenge to him. Hey, what's most important to you? Is Jesus going to be first in relationship to these things? Now, what I say sometimes when people come, when it comes to, say, taking care of the poor, or when it comes to good charitable causes, there's a lot of people that will engage in them just simply because they are humanitarian, they have a heart of compassion, they, they want to they help people. But who's going to preach the gospel? Where are we going to spend our energy and sometimes I feel like we can get kind of, I believe that people are in the world are going to take care of a lot of these things, you know, the abandoned dogs and so forth. But we have a gospel to preach that nobody else is going to do. And that's where we need to focus. Not to another church in another country, not to our spiritual father in South Africa. People would often tithe to their spiritual father, which... Uh, can be very likable if you're their spiritual father, but the truth of the matter is there's no place in the Bible where anybody ever tied to a person. It was always into the house of the Lord. So 2 Corinthians 12, 14 says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, this is Paul, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. So Paul is basically saying, Hey, you shouldn't be supporting me. I should be doing what I can to support you. Number six, are tithes the same as offerings? The answer is no. They're not the same. Tithes belong to the Lord and are to be given back to him at his direction. Offerings are taken for buildings, projects, alms, missions, other expressions. You have the scripture there where they took an offering for the tent of meeting, but that wasn't from their, their tithe. Number seven, were there other forms of giving in the Bible? The answer is yes. Too many, for sure. In addition to the tithe, people gave free will offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, first fruits offering, thank offering. You think you had a problem with all the offerings being taken. Heave offering, yeah, that's usually after a bad party. But Deuteronomy 12, 6, number 8, what are some reasons that people give for not tithing? And this is uh, kind of where I want to talk about a little bit. There are many reasons, or should I say excuses, that people give for not tithing. I can't afford it. 
I hear that. I was in, uh, spent three months in Jamaica one summer, ministering in churches over there, and uh, one of the pastors that was there that we kind of headquartered our, our work from uh, was always complaining about not having money for this, not having money for that, not having money for the other thing. I said, well, do you ever teach your people how to, how to tithe? He says, I can't do that. I can't. These people are very, very poor. We can't ask them to tithe. I said, well, everybody has 10% of something. If they, got, if, they get, if they grow oranges, they get 10% of oranges. They get 10% of something. But what you're doing, in a sense, is you're keeping them poor by not engaging the divine uh, provision that can come through them by honoring God with the first fruits of all their increase. Everybody has the first fruits of their increase. I can report that they did change, turn that church around financially through teaching on biblical giving. But the truth is, if you say you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford not to if you're in that kind of condition. Tithing releases the windows of heaven and rebukes the devourer, and we'll talk about that here more in a minute. Another excuse that's given is God does not need my money. Well, I think we could say amen to that. He doesn't have a whole lot of needs in that sense. But the truth is, giving is a reflection of our heart. The Bible says where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be. I remember the first time I was challenged with this scripture was when I was still in the Lutheran church. I was in Lutheran seminary, and they had this speaker come in, and he said, uh, he said to us, if you want to know who your God is, look at your checkbook, which I know some of you don't even know what that is, but look at your checkbook and see where most of your money is going. At that point in time, I had this coin collecting hobby, and just about every other check was to this auction, coin auction place, and uh, it really, I really had to take a look at that and say, is that a God to me, or is that an idol? Eventually, God tapped into that and took it, but that's okay. He, he uh, owned it anyway, but... While God doesn't personally need anything, it does take money to fulfill the Great Commission and to preach the gospel and extend the kingdom. Uh, this is a responsibility that God has given to us, and so we use our money for that. Or I forgot. Well, again, the truth is they're undisciplined in their giving. Try that line of argument with the rest of your household expenses when it comes to shut off your electricity. I forgot to pay my bill. Oh, well, I'm sorry, we forgot to turn it on. Forgetting is, is not really an excuse. I must see tithing as a priority, and if I make it the first check that's, that's written, then it won't be a problem. Uh, I don't see the benefit. Well, what we're doing again is we're, is I wanna, I'm giving so that I can get, and there's a lot of teaching out there on that, giving so you can get. And we don't give to God because we expect to get something back out of it. We give to him because of, of obedience to him. The benefits are not always seen immediately, and they don't always come to us in terms of a monetary thing. Sometimes the blessing that comes back to us has a lot more to do with the rest of our life and how God has his hand upon us. Someone once said that tithing is God's cure for covetousness. And then tithing is Old Testament and not New Testament. Well, the truth is New Testament giving is much more stringent than the Old Testament giving. Giving in the New Testament surpasses the Old. People who do not want to tithe try to spiritualize it by saying, I just give as the Lord leads. I let the Spirit. I pray and the Holy Spirit tells me what to give. No, you don't. If you're not tithing, the Holy Spirit ain't talking to you at all. It's a different spirit. Why do I say that? Experience. Sometimes our pastor would get up and say, I want everybody to pray about how much to give in this particular offering for this particular missionary in Argentina. I, I always say, no. No. I am not going to pray about that. I have a number that I will do, obviously based on what I think I can do, what I prefer to do. 
I don't want to pray about it because every time I pray about these things, God says double it, triple it. I've never had the Holy Spirit say to me, Bill, you're just going over the top here. Nobody needs to give like that. No, 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 no. Who are you trying to, who are you trying to impress? I'm not impressed. Back off a little bit. Making everybody look bad. I haven't had him ever say that to me. Has he ever said that to you? No, they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. That's just an excuse of spiritualizing their bad behavior. Is this hitting anybody out there? No, no. <laughs> so when you practice true New Testament giving, here are the New Testament principles. We're to give generously, willingly, proportionately, lovingly, cheerfully, thankfully, sacrificially, and as unto the Lord. And it starts out by saying the first thing we do is to give ourselves to the Lord. When we give ourselves to the Lord lock, stock, and barrel, you know what else he gets? He gets our wallets. So that's New Testament giving. In the Old Testament, you could be a little bit grudging when you gave it. You didn't have, be all, have to be all smiles when you gave your prize bull. Ah. But in the New Testament, cheerfully. Come on, let's see those smiles. Let's see those pretty whites. You see the difference? What does God want? How, or why does God want us to tithe? Well, first of all, we talked about it. It takes money to fulfill the commission that he's given to us. Secondly, the tithe is to be a constant reminder that's God who gave us the power to get wealth. And then the third one there, the tithe is a means of discipline in our life to help us manage the other 90% in a way that glorifies God. Most, many of us are very undisciplined in our Spending with all the Starbucks coffee outlets, with all the restaurants in our city, with all of the fast food that's out there, with all of the Amazon apps and other kinds of purchasing apps that are out there, and they just cry out to us. We hardly ever ask the question, do I really need this? And so what happens is we just fritter away oodles and oodles of money and at the end of the day, we got nothing. As opposed to having a strategy, having a plan, and working the plan. If you spend, if you go to Starbucks every day, and you buy a foofy drink, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're talking about three plus thousand dollars a year. Because usually when you go in there, you don't just get the foofy drink. You get something that you need to wash it, wash down with it. The foofy drink will wash it down, but what am I going to wash down? That's the question. Yes, no, not the brownie, no. Forget to, no, can't have it. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18 Talks about when they get in the promised land, they have all this stuff that they need and everything that they want, desire. Then you say in your heart, my power and my wealth of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. And this is that, that, uh, as it is this day. Last question. Got five minutes to sing. Uh, what promises does God give to the one who tithes? Now, I said you don't give to get, but that's okay. The Bible does say you will get something. It isn't, you aren't trying to leverage the hand of God, but at the same time, God hasn't yet given us some promises. And the answer is, first of all, miracle pre preservation. Miracle preservation. God will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. There are a lot of things that could happen to you that don't happen to you. You just don't know it. That car could have broken down a lot earlier. That tire could have gone flat on a different day. That experience that you had seems bad, but you don't realize what it could have been or maybe might have been 
if God's staying hand and his angels were not protecting you. We may never know fully until we get it revealed maybe in heaven. I can count some times where God has saved me from, saved my life from death a number of times. So there's that miracle preservation. Secondly, there's the miraculous and unexpected blessings. God will open the windows of heaven upon your life. We could liken it to manna from heaven or water from the rock, healing, provision, some of these things which, which he blesses us with. And in some cases, we get these blessings and we have no idea how, how it actually happened. And maybe we get an unexpected raise. No, we weren't promised that. No, it, or we get something, something that comes to us totally unexpected. With Ken Olson, it's like a real find at a garage sale where, you know, he paid 25 cents or something and he sold it for 250. That's 10, that's 10 times what he paid for it. That, 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 tickles that, that tickles that man's heart. Thirdly, miraculous return on investment. Miraculous return on, God will pour back into you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. What is the return of making God number one in our lives? Like I say, it isn't always money. Lots of times it's so many other things. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with just good friends and all those kinds of things. And then the last one there, miraculous supply. Miraculous supply. You know, we've, we lived when we were first married and first came to Bible Temple back in the day. We were, we were really poor. We were so poor that people would uh, try to walk away from us. <laughs> no, but we'd find bags of clothing on our porch. <laughs> Somebody dropped off. They were going to go to the Goodwill, but they decided to go to our house instead. Of course, they never fit. They needed to be washed and a few other things. But the point is, is that God has provided. There was a widow who was on the verge of death, and yet God miraculously supplied for her with the, widow, with the oil that did not run dry. And she was able to provide for her household. You know, it says our barns will be filled with plenty, and our vats will burst forth with new wine. You know, in the children of Israel, their shoes grew with their feet. How about that? Now, for most women, that would be terrible. No, honey, you can't buy any new shoes. Look at there. They're, they fit fine. Oh, no, but I want a new pair of shoes. No, no, no. They're perfect. They're perfect. It's just like the day we bought them, you know. No, no, I need, I need new shoes. No, no. You, you're, you're fine. Sometimes we'd rather they wear out so I can get rid of these things. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is God says he wants to miraculously supply for us and do what no one else can do. Can you say amen? We're closing with this scripture in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 to 20. And may God supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And everybody said amen. Pastor Peter, come and. Well, thank you, Bill. I feel like I uh, just signed up. Any of you ever, like, go to a gym and get a personal trainer? And I've had, I've done that a couple times, and uh, sometimes I've gone and the person, like, really encouraged me, said, hey, we're just going to take it slow. What are your goals? But I remember going to one, and it was like, dude, I'm paying you. Like, you could be kind. And um, just went right for it. And uh, I kind of feel that way right now with that message. Um, so we are going through a series and really focusing on radical living. And the idea is in the definition or in the title, it's living radically. But part of that is getting uncomfortable and, and discussing the things that are uncomfortable. Actually, almost looking at a book that would say how to grow your church 
and doing all the things they tell you not to do if you want to grow your church. Because the idea isn't how do we fill more seats? How do we get people to um, just think, well, this is an easy place to be? The idea is how do you and I live the way God told us to live? How do we follow his instructions? And last week, um, I shared in, in one of the things that, that we talked on is that we're not obeying the instructions God gave us because we think they're too restrictive or too Old Testament. There's all sorts of things in the first five books of the Bible where God gave his people instructions. And he said, here's how I want you to live to have a thriving life, to live a blessed life. Now we've gotten to the other side of it and now what we kind of do is pick and choose. Well, I want a little bit of that and I want some of that, but I would like to pass on that. It, it's, it's, it's like we're ordering a meal and we're ordering our hamburger and you know when we go through, um, well, luckily a couple kids are out of the house now, but when we would go through to order, whether we're at Muchas Gracias or whether we're getting hamburgers and we're going through the line and each kid, I mean, every, I mean, it's, I don't understand why we can't just order cheeseburgers, but one kid is, you know, cheeseburger normal. Another person is a dry cheeseburger. Another person, Tamar, is a dry cheeseburger with onions. Like everything is different. And we kind of are that way with our faith and our walk with God is we are going through the drive-through and saying, I want some of that, but a little extra dose of this, or I want this, but please don't put too much of this on it. But then we look at our life and we wonder why it's not as fruitful as we believe the Bible says it should be. We look at our life and we wonder why we aren't experiencing all the peace that the Bible says we should be experiencing. But we're not actually following the instructions of our maker. We're not following the instructions of the engineer, of the architect, of the designer. And he designed us and he gave us instructions for specific reasons. He was dealing with our hearts. For me, when it comes to tithing, what God is doing inside of me is he's dealing with my trust. Will I trust that he'll still take care of me if I give to him first? Or do I take care of myself and give extra? In January, we talked a lot, what was the uncomfortable thing we tried to talk about? Sabbath. And that's something that the church today just isn't good at, especially the Western church. Us, Americans, we're not good at it because we think, well, I'm just gonna keep going and once I achieve and once I get to where I wanna go, then I'll sit back and rest with Jesus. But he says, no, the way you're gonna get there is you're gonna rest now and trust that I'm gonna get you there. You're not gonna get there in your own strength. Trust. Man, it's difficult. I tried to do a little Sabbath rest and delight yesterday. Let me tell you, my problem is, as soon as I start resting, my brain just goes, gets super excited that it's so peaceful and quiet. It's like, I've been trying to talk to you about this, and here's a couple new ideas, and have you thought about talking to this person? Have you And I start going through different things. But it takes a discipline, and it's about trust. You know, in a lot of ways, and I said this last week, we want the blessing from God without the obedience. We want the freedom from God without the sacrifice. We want hope without trust. And we want deliverance without faith. So we want the end result, but we don't many times wanna follow the instructions. And uh, so what we're doing is we're getting uncomfortable. And if this is your first time here, Again, I just want to say welcome, and I want to say that I still believe it's not an accident you're here today, and um, I hope that something spoke to you. I hope that something through praying in a group or being reminded that Jesus went to the cross. You know, we don't give to earn our salvation. We don't Sabbath to earn our salvation. There's only one thing that gets us away to the Father. And, and where we find forgiveness. And that is putting our complete trust 
in obedience into the Lord Jesus Christ. He did a finished work for you and I. And it is, there's nothing we can do to earn any more of it. And that's why we take communion is so that we can remember it. But added on to that, to live fruitful here and to live in obedience here, there are instructions that he's given us. And so we wanna continue pushing in to the uncomfortable topics, pushing into those things that we would normally wanna resist, things like Sabbath, things like loving one another, tithing. We're gonna be talking about scripture meditation here in a couple weeks and not just reading the Bible, but actually really meditating on it. We're gonna talk more about what is communion and what does it really mean to dwell on that and to really remember what God has done. And it can seem weird. It can be kind of uncomfortable if you brought your friend and yeah, we're drinking the juice. It represents his blood. I mean, you know, you do that, right? And oh, the cracker represents his, his broken body, you know, normal. No, it's weird. Let's admit it, it's weird. But the goal is not for you and I to be comfortable. The goal is for us to be obedient to what God has called us to be and to trust that, that we are on our way home to get to heaven And in the process, there's so much that he wants to do in our lives and there's so much that he wants to do through our lives. So um, I'm encouraged by it. I'm challenged. And uh, yeah, you really didn't hold anything back. So I guess he could have brought page five and six, but we'll save that for a couple years down the road. A couple quick things is to just... Uh, remember, I know, you know, Bill was talking about all the apps that are taking money from us. Um, and uh, if you only need one, you just need Church Center. I mean, it's the best thing. Unlike Amazon Prime, the prices aren't going up. It's still free. Um, there's no commercials you have to watch. Uh, but just to stay connected, we want to stay in community with one another, believing that we are the body of Christ and God did place us in a church family, to be there with one another, to grow with one another. So whether that's getting into a community group, discipleship ministries, men, we have men's ministry this Thursday night here at 7 p.m. Would love, my hope is that every man, speaking about men's ministry, comes out at least once in the next three months. That's my request. And that we end up building, you could say you don't need it, maybe. But what I can tell you is someone else needs you. So you might think you don't need it and that you got a lot, but I believe that one, I do believe you'll be blessed because you'll build connection with people that you haven't built connection with before. But also there's somebody that needs the connection that you would bring. They need your personality. They're tired of my personality. Come on, can I get an amen with that? Yes, yeah, they need something fresh from you. Um, also tomorrow night, you can swing by the lobby in the lobby. There's a table, uh, for update with Anthony Rozier and just what's going on in Argentina. I want to invite you to, uh, grab one of these and, um, go hear that. And also, um, our Bible reading, uh, plan for this week is the new covenant and new wisdom. It's going to kind of take us through a little bit of Hebrews, a little bit of James, a little bit of Proverbs. And so jumping into that, we're doing these different reading things where it's just for like one week. And um, with that, will you stand to your feet if you're able? We're going to close. I do want to ask that uh, if the prayer teams would come up and um, if you came today, maybe you came in a little after we got into groups to pray, or maybe there's something else going on in your life where you're like, man, that was great singing, and I liked clapping, and Man, that word, it challenged a little bit of pride in me. It challenged like, man, don't, don't mess with my money. Um, and, you know, it was great to be reminded of the sacrifice Jesus paid. But you know what? I still have, I, I need somebody to rally around me on something. That's why we do prayer teams. Is, and so if you have anything like that and you want to pray before you head out, I want to invite you to come up. Father, I just thank you for everybody in this room. God, I thank you that um, we are your body and we were made, God, in your image and each one of us reflects a slightly different piece of who you are. Lord, help us as we go today to see you in one another, 
that we wouldn't see inconvenience, we wouldn't see difference, but God, we would see your miraculous design. We would see who you are. Lord, help us to go from here today with a confidence that one, that you finished the work on the cross. And God, it covers every single one of our mistakes that no one would walk out of here with shame and feeling like they're still dragging the, 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 the effects of, or, or, or the guilt of something from their past, but it would be broken off in Jesus' name and walking out in freedom that, God, you already paid the penalty. But, Lord, we would walk out in your love and walk out asking for you to continue to change us and mold us to look and act more like you. Lord, I thank you for the blessing it is to be part of this family and just pray your blessing over every single person from the youngest to the oldest. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your day.